What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. morning and thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that tackles some pretty tough topics sometimes. And I think we have a tough topic today, but I think it's also pretty encouraging. Um, and encouraging in a number of ways. Our guest really knows about what we're talking about. Her name is Kathy Allen. Kathy, welcome. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Kathy is a consultant, uh, political consultant with the Connections Group. She also has extensive political background. She's helped most recently with uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign in the last major election, and uh, uh, that's just the one that seems to stand out most at this particular time. But you've also been a frequent TV, radio, and political commentator uh, guest, and uh, you've also written some books on running successful campaigns. So thank you. And uh, we look forward to he- hearing what you have to say about women in politics. Well, thanks. I mean, it's, a, it's getting to the point where this is our time, as you now see ever since uh, January. Uh, the fact is is that more women are becoming more clear about how they have to step up and get more active, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, I think it is. And, uh, you know, the Pew Research came out with a report, I, I think, what, just a, just a few months ago, um, on women running for office. And um, they came up with some pretty startling figures about how women aren't running. You know, it's not that they're just not getting elected. They're just not running. Um, now, we have seen a little uptick around the world in the number of women running, but basically women aren't running for political office as much as men. I mean, by a large shot. What's that all about? Well, it's the fact that we are we, most of us have like three jobs. What happens is that women as a whole get to the point where they're sitting there saying, okay, now you want me to kind of like save the world and go run for office. Well, yeah, who's going to take care of the kids? And I still have to go to work every day. And, oh, by the way, who's taking care of the house? Uh, what's happening is that women's time, uh, particularly since our little friends, those computers and iPhones, the technology alone has actually taken another six to eight hours of our lives we didn't have. So in all of it, we have less time. But second, women as a whole haven't really been asked to run. Usually what happens is that, you know, two guys go out to lunch and one says, you know, you ought to run. And he runs. Yeah. A woman, yeah. you have to ask her for two, 2.2 years before she actually says, oh, well, maybe. And so from all yeah. of that, what we've been doing, and I'm the national vice president of the National Women's Political Caucus, which is the largest bipartisan organization in the country that tries to encourage, recruit, and train women to run for office. What we see is that women are like, you know, I don't have the money to put in myself. I hate the thought of sitting on the phone and calling people I don't know and asking them for money. Now what we see is that there are far more women who have decided, you know what, I think I might just get involved. 
it, but it's tough. Like you said, these these connections are forged sometimes for years before anyone actually steps out and runs for office. The other thing that that um, the report showed is that there are more women in local office than national office, and that that's a good thing, right? Isn't that a good thing? It, it is. It, in fact, it used to be that we saw a number of women go into local office from school boards to city councils, mostly because it was a great training ground for what would come after that. But what we're seeing this year is amazing. I have to say that the one thing that most people missed in last year's kind of depressing elections for women is that we had a huge crop of women of color win. And it was one of those things that we weren't really paying attention till until a week or so after the election and we realized my goodness all of these incredible women have uh, been running at the state legislative level as well as in in Congress and the United States Senate we had a whole lot of firsts last year so what we are now seeing is that this year a number of women particularly if they are in certain fields that the general public has said you know what if we had one of those running I would be voting for her and those kind of like different kinds of fields like science or math or actually women who have international import export business people uh, who are in businesses of having having been in government having been a manager in government most people look at that and say yeah that's the kind of woman I would be voting for yeah um but it's still harder for women to get out there isn't it i mean there are barriers to women running for office and not just the okay sure i'll run for you know i'll run for president after i change the baby you know finish the report for work and you know organize the carpool for next week you know i mean uh, there are still huge barriers as far as people's perceptions and what people expect from their political leaders I'm going to challenge that, Heather. I think that's Good. old. I think you're, that's, that is passe. Really what the situation is right now, to me, and I have a, I'm a woman who has helped elect over 690 women to office all over the world. And if you ask me, the number one reason she doesn't run is because she doesn't think she can win. Still, and yet, ah, women have this confidence problem that they look at themselves and they say you know I'm really not you know my kids are still with me I don't have enough money I don't know the answers to all this land use stuff they're going to ask me I'm too fat I don't seem to have the kind of uh, high level contacts I should we are really great at coming up with all the excuses of why we don't want to put ourselves forward that confidence is something that uh, actually happens is being erased with women under 35. We're seeing a great crop of women who were raised by pretty with it moms, I'm going to guess, moms and dads who really got out there and said, you know, honey, you can be anything. You can be anything you want to be. And from that perspective, we now see less of it. But still, it has always been my feeling that women particularly are their own worst enemy when it comes to deciding to run for office. And so what's happening lately is that They've just gotten pushed past that point where, you know what, if I don't get involved, then things are going to continue to get miserable, and I just am not going to stand by and watch this happen. Women have okay. never been so well-educated. We have never been so actually uh, monetarily endowed, even though we all think we're broke. The fact is, is that we have a whole <laughs> lot more money than our parents and grandparents had. 
The same thing is true in terms of we are we're very tolerant. We are actually uh, tech savvy now. All of these things lead to women being far more ready to handle a decision like running for office. Okay, so confidence, and I can see that. I can see that. I, I, I see that personally. I mean, I remember years ago I was I was making my own cheese and uh, just learning on my own how to do it, and I wanted to learn more. So I went to local um, co-ops and I went to local stores. I went to local education venues, and I said, I want to learn this. I want to learn this. Can't you have a class in this? And after about the fourth place, somebody was asking me what I had done, and, and they said, well, you want to teach the class? You're the one who seems to be knowing more about it than anyone else. And it never crossed my mind that I could teach the class. I was seeking more information, and it turns out I had enough information already that I could teach others who were looking for it. But it never crossed my mind that I could be the teacher rather than the learner. Um, Now, I'm in a different generation from that under 35. Is that different? Would a, would my daughter be able to look at a situation like that and say, yeah, I know enough about this where I'm just going to go out and I'm going to look to teach? Most likely because she was raised by you. The other part about that is that if you have these women or men, for that matter, who are growing up now and they look around, they themselves know that they're much more with it. They are very much more willing to say, you know, I could teach this class. This yo-yo doesn't know anything. And from that perspective, they have not just that self-confidence, but they have that awareness to be able to challenge, which we didn't necessarily have growing up. You didn't necessarily challenge every rule that was in your face. Today, this generation happily does, happily or unhappily in some cases, they are constantly asking the questions you just wish they'd shut up and just do the job but the fact (laughs) is they are definitely definitely a curious bunch that ask the questions that don't seem like like they're very logical explanations for why we're doing what we're doing yeah so uh it's the same kind of thing in politics where you know the, the the when you're saying that the biggest barrier is confidence for women what are some of the other barriers? I mean, you mentioned concerns about money. Are those legitimate concerns? Do people donate as much, contribute as much to female candidates, or does it not matter? Well, actually, you've got to, you've hit upon a really good subject, which is in many cases women have not been good donors. In fact, less than 10 years ago, we had situations where women ended up being less than 25% of the donors to most campaigns. And most of the women, over half of those, were people that were on Mr. and Mrs. Smith's check. And so it was two contributions, but Mrs. Smith often didn't even know that Mr. Smith was writing the check. What we now see is that, particularly with so many women running for the United States Senate, and in particularly in Washington State, where you've had uh, not only one, but two different women run and win the United States Senate position, there are a very high number of women who actually are contributors. In fact, over 50% of the contributors to Hillary's campaign uh, were women in terms of those who were less than, I would say, uh, tw- the, the $2,600 limit, $2,800 limit. And so from that perspective, if you want to see what's happening now, more women are giving. And what happened that has changed all that is that women, unlike men, are not likely to be able to be high donors without them having a virtual heart attack. You ask a woman for 250 bucks, she collapses on the floor and says, oh, my gosh, I could never <laughs> do that now. Are you nuts? I mean, my kids, my rent, are you kidding? 
Well, what's happened is that many of the campaigns, particularly since so many people give online, is that women now plan to give, which means you give 25 bucks a month for the rest of the year. You're able to be a high donor because you give monthly. That one move alone has uh, doubled and tripled in many cases the number of women in different states who are actually contributing. If we can plan, 25 bucks is doable. I'm not going to have a heart attack over giving 25 bucks. 50 bucks, well, I'll be nervous. But when it comes to 250, I could never do that unless you actually get it out of me 25 bucks a month. Yeah. So women and men give differently politically. Yep. Do they get differently politically? Well, they very much are. In fact, I think the most important thing from a baseline perspective is to talk a little bit about the difference between men and women. I don't work for women candidates because they have different genitals. I have to tell you that in the real world, I work for women because their definition of leadership is much different than most men. For a woman, we look at the basics. And by the way, this is something that is borne out for me as I have worked in Rwanda, as I've worked in Cuba, as I've worked in the Middle East, as I've worked in Vietnam, as I've worked in Cambodia. Wherever I train women to run for office, it seems I always get the same basic concerns. And what I see are women who lead with different characteristics than men. Women are from the school of listening, really listening. Not like men listen, which is like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. With women, what happens is that we're listening and we're processing and we actually are using it as part of the information base we make decisions. In all of this, women are much less, I have to have the win on this. They're much more compromising. And to many, that's just being collaborative. The number one thing we're missing right now in all politics really is the fact that we've all gotten into these little silos of Democrats or Republicans when we really should be looking for what's the win-win situation here. Women are very good at finding win-win solutions. Women are also very good at their fair. Even if it's your own family involved, if you find something that's like, no, 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 you are not being fair. The fact is women are much more likely to be open, to be honest, to tell you the truth is going to be something you like to hear. The other part about it is that they are very much concerned about access to information. Women don't use information as power nearly as much as men traditionally have. Same thing's true as women are caring, they're compassionate. Women are the kinds of folks that always want to ask, you know, how does this really affect people? They're not as interested in terms of the profits as they are the people involved. And on and on, the fact is, is that we have found these things to be very inherent in how women actually lead. Doesn't mean that men don't do this. It simply means that a woman's way of leading is a whole lot less in your face and obnoxious. She's not nearly as arrogant. She's much more likely to be very inclusive in terms of how she makes her decisions. That is why I work for women. That's what I think they bring to a table that really is in desperate need of these kinds of characteristics and leadership. Okay. You know, I've been negligent, Kathy. I need to throw out our phone number in case somebody out there would like to join our conversation. It is 646-378-0430. That's 
888-346-0430. I do have the chat room open as well if you'd like to type in a comment or a question. Okay, so let's get back to the money because um, you threw out some interesting stuff that I want to come back to. But first of all, I want to I want to finish the money part, um, and that is we talked a lot about giving, but what about getting money? Um, is there a barrier, is there a difference between women's resources for getting money? Is there a difference in people's willingness to give money to a female candidate? Is there a difference in the getting of the political contributions? I don't think so. I really don't think so. There has always been a perceived difference. But the perception really has to do with women's inability to pick up the phone and call and ask for money. And most women that are running for office these days have actually gotten past that point, that we don't sit there and say, no, I'm not going to raise the money, or, oh, gosh, I really don't want to do it. When I first started in this business some 22 years ago now, what would happen is that you know, you'd send the candidate home to make phone calls, you'd give her the list of here are the people you need to call, they're demonstrated donors, here's what you have to say, here's the list, you've got to get through it. And you would go home and find that the woman had reorganized the entire spice rack, she had cleaned the oven, she had done things you would not believe that anyone would do as opposed to picking up the phone and calling and asking for money. So from that perspective... That's very dated. Now what happens is that uh, women actually do a, a great job at, at raising money. And what we have found that in this last go-round, the number of women who give as well as the number of women who get uh, has actually skyrocketed, is that they have indeed sat down and asked for lots of money. The problem is uh, I can see it in terms of uh What's happened is that there is a, a total discouragement in a number of women who say, I just can't do this. I can't sit down and ask total strangers for money, and so I'm not going to run. If you make the decision to run, yes, you do make your phone calls, and I have not found it to be a problem of recent note. In the last five years, women are making their calls. Yeah. Um what about, I mean, you can't do it on your own. You have to build a basis. You have to get a group together who will help you to do this. Is that different for women to achieve than our male political candidates? It used to be different, but it has changed as well because most of the business now is really professional. If you're moving for an office that's going to be like a city council even of a big city or mayor of a small city, the fact is that you're going to be hiring professional help. You know, there are over 1.2 million people in this country who make their living year to year as political consultants. And that crowd is definitely what people are going to because they are the institutional memory of how you win. It used to be you would fuel your campaigns with lots of volunteers. But you know what? We needed to get jobs. The volunteer base was always women. Women were the volunteers of most of these campaigns, and now we need jobs. We don't have the luxury of saying, you know, I can go out and volunteer. If we volunteer, it's probably like some of these young women are telling me when I ask them, what hours do you have available to help me on this campaign? They'll say 10 to 2, and I'll say 10 to 2 during the day, and they'll say, oh, no, 10 to 2 at night. It turns out that they are much more content to be able to be working on a campaign where they can work online, at their convenience, at their home, at night, and online. 
from that mm-hmm. perspective, the volunteers have changed dramatically. There are no such things, or they are the kind of folks who really have decided, I can work if you can give me assignments that work from home. Now, yeah. women's campaigns are very much like men's. Okay. All right. And you've been doing this for 20-some years, right? Yeah, 25 okay. years, actually. 20, 20 years ago, that was different. So you've seen this change occur in uh, the the landscape of women running for political office, or is yes. this something? Yes, I have. Yeah. All right. All right. Actually, it's also Why? been amazing in terms of a lot of it. Say that again. It's been it's it's been it's, it's been quite the change. I have to say, it was very different when you walked in. And I would also speak to a lot of the international women I've helped train for office. You know, you'd walk in to their office and you would expect that you would want, you'd have to talk them into running. Well, that never really happened. There were a lot of these women who said, yeah, I know we need to be out there. We need to be at the table. If we're not at the table, important things are not going to happen and our money is going to be used for other things besides education, health care, and just basic you know, public safety and betterment at home. Well, now uh, what happens is that when you actually walk in, women say, no, 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 you don't have to talk me into running still and yet. What they want to know is, well, who do I target? The day was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that you'd walk in and a woman would say, well, I need to go door-to-door and get all these people registered to vote. No, you don't. That's like a waste of time. If people are going to register to vote with the kind of energy we see all over this country with not only organizations but local elections offices, offices are incredibly good at just encouraging people to sign up to actually vote. What you need to do is you need to decide who are the people most likely to vote for you, and then you need to go and meet them. Still and yet the best way to win office, which is why a lot of women start at the local level, is because you've just got to go door-to-door. You've got to go meet them eyeball-to-eyeball. No matter how much money you have, the most effective way to convince someone to vote for you is to look them in the eye tell them what you're going to stand for and what you're going to do, that is still the most effective tool. The problem is you just don't have the time to be able to go through and meet all of those voters. Those you meet, you can convince. Well, and I think let's talk about, you know, the the, you had mentioned something about people being in these silos, um, and that's true. And I think that especially more, you know, recently, um, uh, people just want to know what silo you're in. They don't want to know how you stand on things. They don't want to know you personally. Are you seeing that? I'm seeing that just in daily conversations. Um, of course, it's never been so yeah. bad. Yep. And by the way, it's not just an American factor. It's very much worldwide. It's a it's a silo effect that has to do with it's easier for people who, let's face it, don't really love politics to begin with. And in many cases, uh, most people want to know just about enough about what they're talking about to sustain themselves in a two or three minute conversation at a cocktail party. The fact is, is that people really are not as consumed or interested in politics unless it looks like it's going to react unfavorably to their lives and stop their bus transportation or, you know, end their a woman's right to be able to actually get um, a uh, birth control or something. The fact is, is that people see this as the, the real problem with silos, is that you assimilate with one and then you can't get out. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And then it shades you. It, it puts, uh, what do they call those things on horses? Blinders. It puts blinders on to everything else that may or may not be important to you, I think. Um, so I often hear people say, I don't vote for party. I vote for the person. Do you see that? Actually, I do, but usually what happens is that, you know, 41% of the folks, the minute you file as a Democrat or Republican, 41% of the folks have already decided in that race because they just follow the party. And what happens is that it's not that you have blinders on, it's that you're in a family or a tribe. And what happens is that when the tribe says, this is who we're going to stand behind, you stand behind them. And that 41% is huge, in fact, getting larger. In many cases, it's the, uh, the, I would say, in different states, there are those states right now that 60% of the folks know who they're voting for the minute they file as a Democrat or Republican. What has happened recently is that it doesn't matter the sides. In fact, many of the things that Democrats stand for today, Republicans stood for 20 years ago and vice versa. In many cases, there are what we would call those basic, uh, the wedge issues. Then the wedge issues include gun control. They include um, abortion. They will include gay rights, the environment versus development. Those issues are still very much the wedge issues that really have an already written silo assignment, like uh, a woman's right to choose is obviously in the democratic silo, and those who are against all forms of uh, right to choose are in the Republican silo. Those things have become more pronounced, to say the least. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and I've seen that, too, just as, you know, a layperson observing things. Uh, I mean, it seems like that middle – they've always said that when you run for office, you're just really – you're running for 20 percent, that middle – that that undecided group. But I, I it, from what I've seen, that that – you know, it looks to me like that – 20% is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And so, you know, the people who are trying to convince voters to vote for them have to go to that little tiny group, and those are the ones that they have to target. Um, that's it's a little – it's a, it's changing a little bit now because, you know, really what happens? It's not that that 20% has disappeared. The 20% is still very much alive and well and in every community. In fact, in many cases, there's more than that. What changes is that 20% is not like I'm going to be a Democrat forever, I'm going to be a Republican, and I'm going to stay in my silo. What has happened is that those people have decided, I'm just not going to vote. Those become Ah. part of the group that say, a a pox on both your houses, I am not going to vote. And so what happens is that, you know, when you see that the national average for people voting is 55%, and, oh, by the way, this is the worst year in terms of the year after an open seat presidential race is the lowest turnout traditionally over the last probably 60 years. Now what we're seeing in some places, even places with very high turnout, Washington State can easily have 86, 87 percent of the folks actually are uh, voting, of those who are registered. Well, this year we're looking at less than 22 percent could be voting in our August primary. And the reason for that is because they're just not interested in what's going on. After all of the interest last year, 
we believe that this year may show some sort of an uptick because there are so many women, at least, and progressive voters, I would say, that have just decided that, wait a minute, we all have to stand up now. We all have to get much more involved than we've ever been. We'll see, because right now elections officials are going to be enough to get people over that 25% turnout in the primary. Really? Wow, that's surprising yep. to me. That is surprising to it's me. It's horrifying. It's totally horrifying. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, a couple more questions um, about you know, women and women running. Who are these women? Because, um, again, looking at the Pew Research, one of the comments on their online um, uh, report one of the comments to me was very interesting, and it was how many of the women, because we were, they were talking worldwide, you know, there's something like 70 countries now that have women leaders, and they're, they, they're kind of surprising that they have women leaders because they're conservative countries, they're not necessarily noted for, a lot of them are not necessarily noted for, you know, their belief in women's rights and that kind of thing. Nevertheless, 70 countries in this world currently have um, uh, women leaders. We don't. <laughs> but um, where did these women come from? And the, one of the comments was how many of these women came up on their own and how many of these women more or less inherited um, um, political positions because of their names, because of their male relatives who were involved in politics. I read that comment with interest because I thought, well, how many men are there because of their own interest as opposed to male relatives in politics? Nevertheless, the question's a good one. How many women are in politics because they were just going, you know what, I'm doing my dishes and I'm going to work and th things have to change and I'm going to get interested. And how many of them are in it because, you know, their husbands were um, in politics or their um, uh, fathers or brothers or male relatives of some sort? They had a lot, but I have to say the number 70 is a little, if only. Uh, right now there's uh, 26 women presidents uh, throughout the world, but you're very right. I mean, it, more interesting is the number of places that have a high percentage of women that are in their parliaments or congresses. Uh, Rwanda, for example, 60% of their elected officials now are women. Uh, what's happened in a lot of cases is that when people get – when people see what women can do, they tend to actually increase the number of women year after year after year. When it comes to what you premised in terms of fathers, brothers, and so on, there are a lot of people who have, a lot of women right now who have that, but frankly, over half, two-thirds right now at least, are women who got there on their own. used to be it was the surviving wife. It used to be the fact yeah. that we would have people that were uh, very close or people perceived to be uh, all knowledgeable of their spouses' positions on everything when most of them probably were not. What's happened lately is that we find that there are far more women who are running because they've paid their dues, they've taken the time, uh, they've actually not only spent the uh, good years of their early life uh, being involved in some social 
cause or issue, but they've also had an awful lot of uh, popularity and media, uh, a lot of media about the kinds of things they were involved in. Aung San Suu Kyi uh, in, uh, in Myanmar, uh, taking a look at what's going on. Even the women right now that are running um, countries in the Balkans, Estonia, uh, a lot of the women that Croatia, these were women who were very much involved in their own countries sort of uh, transitions uh, from non-democratic governments to democratic governments. The irony now is the number of women that are increasing in the Middle East, those Muslim women have taken substantial uh, increases based upon a quota that in a lot of, of these cases, uh, women have lobbied to have more women actually in their parliaments as a matter of quota. When that happens, you have a lot more women that are used to what's going on in Parliament. They're used to the process, and as a result, they become um, their own party's leaders. And in other cases, they just become the, uh, the their uh, country's president. So, yes, there is a history of this. That history has passed. We don't see the women that are the spouses nearly as much as we used to. And in almost all the cases right now, these women are pretty much self-made women. Well, we saw that in our own country. I mean, look at how many of our first female uh, Congress people were um, spouses or widows or, you know, I, I mean, yep. it, it seems to be a, a, a kind of a logical progression. So um, let's talk a little bit more about practicalities. Um, what if I want to run for office? What are good motivations for wanting to run for a woman? Most motivations are very similar. A woman saw a wrong and worked with her own backyard and neighbors to fix it. Most women that run are compelled by this incredible problem that they fix themselves. Patty Murray's uh, history, uh, Diane Feinstein's history, taking a look at a number of the women who just saw a problem and decided they would fix it. That is usually why women decide to run. Or women are just outraged at what someone who's currently in the office did and said, that's just not right, not right for our kids, it's not right for our people, it's not right for me. And usually it's the anger or it's the passion she has to right some wrong. And I must admit, most of the men that I still deal with, the reason they run, it's because they're either bored at what they're doing or somebody at lunch said, you know, you should run. And the fact is, is that they immediately have that kind of confidence or that feeling of, you know, I could do this job, and they decide to run. Much more of a career choice as opposed to a righteous passion to do something. As I say, yeah, I was going to say that I've, I've seen men running uh, because this is the next step in their career, kind of thing. That's correct. That's correct. Happens all the time. And for women, yeah. it's usually they see a wrong, and then they go through the two point two years of angst of, oh, should I? Could I raise <laughs> the money? Oh, what about my kids? What about the rest of it? The fact is, is that we have found a number of things about women that make it much more interesting. Um, for them to run because they don't necessarily have to hold on to the fact that they will have to call people every hour of every day that they don't know to ask for money. That right now there are a number of other there are organizations and um, the parties themselves are much more interested in running women uh, and they are doing a great job of recruiting. Both parties are doing a great job of recruiting. Yeah. Um, but 
you can't be a one-note wonder. I mean, if you see a passion, if you see something that, uh, you know, interests you or that you feel passionate about, that can't certainly be the oh, – I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, the classic example is the Mothers Against Drunk Driving. You know, I mean, that woman who started that organization had a he- clear passion. I mean, you know, that was – and she started a wonderful organization. Um, but that's not enough for politics, is it? That's not enough for a political career to just have a passion is it no but what happens is that you do get to the point where you realize you can only do so much as an individual and so when you start thinking well you know i've really done a good job of getting an education campaign in the schools for kids not to drink or i've managed to do a good job of at least getting uh, uh, different kinds of police cameras at important intersections in my own backyard but to really make a change, we're really going to have to change that. Uh, the drinking age, we're going to have to say that if you are .08 or worse, that you're arrested. That what happens is that you find that the next step to really making very important change in your mind requires legislation. That's when you feel the urge for actually making the move to run. In many cases, well, when we talk about the fact that you're thinking, well, maybe I should run. We're seeing that in ways we have never seen. I have to tell you, I walked into a, a, a party meeting the other night just with friends, and I walk in and there's nine women, seven of color, that are sitting there and interrogate me all night long about how do I run, what do I do, how do I get started, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, pass the pasta, please. It was really one of those things that I got to the point of just saying, gosh, is this really happening? And sure, what we've now seen is that women, all of my friends who run chapters of the Women's Political Caucus in most of the states in the country, what happens is they're finding, you know, we usually get like 13 people who come to our annual meeting. Well, this year we got 330 that came to our annual meeting, and we were all sitting there wondering, oh, my gosh, what's going on? The number of women in my office just this last week, I had three women out of nowhere walk in, two I knew, one I had never met, and the three of them had decided themselves it was time for them to run. They had never been in a party before. They had just gotten to the point where they really believed that they could make a difference. Well-educated, not poor, but not rich. Uh, definitely women who were willing to do the work, uh, women who had already put together the list of people they could go to to ask for money or get them to work on campaigns. The first step in a woman deciding to run is trying to figure out how she can do it given the time she's got to do it. Most women are working full-time jobs or and they have kids. At that point, what happens, you decide, I'm going to run. And when that happens, you say, now, how am I going to actually make changes so that the kids are going to be able to be taken care of while I am uh, taking more time off from work? Who's going to pay the bills? And so you try to figure out, how do I run? It's probably going to take you a year in terms of uh, running for office. Most people decide May uh, at the latest, usually March is the date you decide for a November election. You kind of decide, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And then you really start working maybe 10 hours a week. But by June, you're into a 40-hour week just in campaigning. So first, you've got to get the time Second, you got to get the team. Third, you got to get the money. 
Fourth, you've got to get the issues that you're going to run and make a difference with down to a paragraph. You cannot be, you know, talking for 30 points. And, you, I mean, most people feel that uh, women talk too much anyways, and what they want is less. They want the core reason why they should be voting for you and not the guy that's in the job now. So first you get to go through the reality check. The misnomer, the biggest misnomer about women running for office is they are immediately thinking about, well, this is what I'm going to do. If elected, I'm going to have a meeting and we're going to talk about this. No, 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 no. When you run for office, it's a totally different job description. It's how am I going to get the money and the visibility to be able to uh, convince enough voters, say in my district I'm going to need like 10,400 voters to be able to decide that this woman they don't even know is a better person than the incumbent that's been there. Frankly, uh, 90% of the incumbents are returned to office every year. Uh, yeah. We see more people getting out this year. I, I have to tell you that we have seen a number of legislators, a number of elected officials saying, uh-uh, I just don't want to do this anymore. And so wherever there is an open seat, that's where women should be focused upon running. And so when they do that, then they start this job description uh, that really is a whole lot different than serving. The job description of being the best candidate is in itself a, uh, a major difference in terms of what their lifestyle already is. So how do you go about getting a team? I mean, for if if you're a woman, um, I mean, why you talk it up at the PTA, you talk it up at the office. Where where do you get your team? It's a good question. Actually, I have to tell you, there are so many different ways women put together their teams, and men too. In many cases, uh, women don't have the luxury of being able to hire ten people. If you're going to run for Congress, you need at least that. You probably need 20 people to help you pull together. Well, in this one case where we're looking at this next week where there's a uh, seat that's being filled in Georgia, the fact is is that you'll find in many cases this year, um, you find that there's always going to be open seats. Well, when those open seats are, like, so crucial – you know, you could you could have to raise a million bucks. And in some cases, raising a million bucks is something you would never imagine you could ever do. To start, you need to go to the people who have been elected. You need to see who they have that would be willing to help you. You need a little bit of that institutional memory of how to do this job. Then you need your people the people who love you, the people who would do anything you ask them to do, the people you have selflessly helped in the past. And we have a list of exactly who those people are, and they date back to college roommates, or they include the people that you've always bought, you know, their kids' Girl Scout cookies from. What it is is that you start to do the inventory of who knows you. What's your database, girl? And that's where we start. Who do you know that you can reach by cell phone and or email, and what would they do if you asked them to give you three hours a week? That's where you start. Then we start you with, do you have 250 people that would give you $250? You need to have that list. You need to be able to show that you have a nest egg you can build yourself before you ask people you don't even know to invest in your campaign. 
And in many cases, we tell folks that 10% of what this campaign is going to cost, I expect you to write the check for or put it on your credit cards. Whatever that is, you need to invest in yourself too. People find it hard to give money uh, to someone who has not invested at least as much in themselves. So that's where you start. It's the people, it's the money, it's the time. And in many cases, the big fourth is, uh uh-oh, who else is running? If you find that you're looking (laughs) for an open seat and then you say, oh, look, there's an open seat in my state legislative race. This is terrific. And then you go to the local Democratic or Republican meeting and you see the queue of all the guys lined up who have been working for years so that when this seat came open, they would be the natural person to fill it. That's when you need to say, okay, how am I going to be able to upset this apple cart? And then you begin to see if you have any ability to uh, move people who think that they owe it to the guy that's been coming to meetings for 10 years. That's what the reality is in filling those open seats. However, I am very astonished at the number of women who have done just that in the last year. Well, you know, you, it's interesting that you mention, you know, the, all of this scenario because I will tell you a dirty little secret, Kathy. I uh-huh. vote, I I ran years ago for a school board position. Oh my God! Huh? <laughs> I, I got think that back. is wonderful. Was... Now, well, now, wait a minute, Heather. Let me just tell you. Let me just give you the paid political announcement here. Okay. You know, running for school board is the hardest job. It's second only to getting the position. It is the most, I would say, the selfless position. You are screamed at by everyone. You are asked to do everything. You get paid nothing. It is uh, so heated when you're talking about children's education that I have the hardest time ever getting anyone to run for school board. What happens in so many cases, I have a wonderful woman friend from Kansas who ran for school board this uh, last year, and I must say I was just so thrilled. I couldn't believe it. Wonderful woman, very definitely Republican woman who said, I really want to do this. It's my own home city. She went and ran, and I couldn't believe it because the chances of a person out of the blue deciding to run for a local school board office and winning are very slim but it is oh, yeah. the most it's the most important political job in the country and so i take my hat off to you girl i gotta tell you i am very <laughs> well, you impressed. can't take it off too much i lost but um but i i, I actually you know it's, it's i was so naive um i ran against uh an incumbent who had been there for several terms several um and uh, basically it was a bunch of moms sitting around a coffee clutch saying, we need to do this, why aren't they doing this? And so it was, hey, Heather, you run. And I went, okay. <laughs> and I think we had all of $70 in our political coffers, and we put up signs, and I started hitting the the, the um, uh, talk circuit, you know, where you'd be invited to come with your opponent and discuss things. And I was very popular at these things. And after about the third one, my opponent started saying the same answers to questions that I had been saying, even though they were completely different when we started. And she did win, 
but the fact that she only won by 3%, I've considered a major victory. And since she spent thousands and thousands of dollars and I had $75, I thought it was wonderful. But, oh, my God, was it brutal. I swore I would never do such a thing again. People can be really mean in politics. And people who, in my experience in this particular situation, by gummy, she, you know, the she was going to keep this position, and who the heck did I think I was, you know? Um, and it was really brutal, and I just went, hoy, I wasn't prepared. I thought it was like, okay, we have two differing opinions, and we'll throw our opinions out there, and the people will vote for which opinion they like best, and it was totally different. It was brutal, and it was down and dirty, and it was, I just totally wasn't prepared for that. So when I hear you talking about women going for running for office and going up against an incumbent and everything, what kind of emotional support is available for those women? They have to hire a consultant, or are, is there something they can do on their own to prepare for or deal with that kind of stuff? Or did I just experience something totally unique? No. No, you have the mainstay right there. I should say, did anyone ever get personal and actually talk about your personal life and something about it that they tried yes. to make into an issue? Uh, yeah, that's but at that point, there wasn't anything that anybody knew that was that horrible. So, <laughs> you know. That's true. And in fact, you know something that actually, Heather, most people who decide not to run for office, it's because they fear that something in their past something they haven't even told their spouse or their children will come up in a public setting and they just decide not to run. And the truth is, in having actually gone through and talked with, at one point we had done, uh, at the Women's Political Caucus, we had done oh maybe 3,000 women who ran for office. We had asked them what they most feared would come up during the course of the election. And actually what happened is that in less than, I would say, 4 or 5% did anything ever come up. Those horrible fears of personal kinds of scandal that we fear, those hardly ever come up. But what comes up that kills women on the campaign trail is the three deadliest things you can say about them usually can't win. She's not going to be able to win. She's not going to be able to raise the money. The second is usually, yeah, but she can't make the deals that he can make. She can't bring home the bacon that he can bring home. And the third really is, in terms of all of this, she is, uh, she's there, but she's just not ready yet. That is the killer. You know, she's a nice woman. I like her. I think she works hard, but she's just not ready yet. No matter how old she is, she could be 65 years old, and you'd say, she's not ready yet. And that has been killing women for, for decades. You know, that's interesting because I have heard that. I have heard that about women. And I've been trying to sit here thinking, as you were saying that, have I ever heard that about men? And I have not. Not in any one of these cases you would probably find. You will hear that he can't raise the money. And that usually happens uh, to a number of folks, particularly if they are of color. The other part we have found is that people do have a different opinion about a woman's electability now than they did 20 years ago. Right now it's very fashionable. Both parties are looking for competent women that can actually uh, run, raise money, put the time into it, and and frankly be articulate and able to talk about many different issues. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, Okay. So, Kathy, we have ten minutes left. What does a woman want to do? There's somebody out there listening who is saying, I've been thinking about running for office. What's her first step? Where does she find a political consultant? 
Usually you can do that by, uh, I call the American Association of Political Consultants. They just go online, and it's uh, www.aapc.org. Uh, I would say they, that's who I call for political consultants. The other is I call the National Women's Political, uh, the National Women's political Caucus, nwpc.org. It's a national organization. There is probably a caucus organization in your uh, area, much uh, less your state. Uh, usually they are the ones that are very good that offer the not only the recruitment in terms of they help they're looking for women to run all the time the next thing they do is they do lots of training we train all over the the country we train women to be trainers we train them to actually help women decide we train them to be there throughout the the long uh, process of running so what happens is that you get these uh, women that can help you. It's uh, women helping women all over the country. And then what you end up doing is you go to as many trainings as you can. There are many other organizations that are also doing some of these trainings. The important part, the Democratic and Republican parties do it. Environmental groups do it. Labor does it. Realtors are very good at pulling uh, these kind of trainings together. I would say you find that there are all kinds of political trainings. And what happens is you go to as many as possible because they are usually extremely low uh, cost and they give you a good variety of information that you can use to figure out how you're going to be able to put your team together. The secret to being able to spend less in a campaign is to start early and to plan she who has a better plan and she who starts earliest to set the agenda, she is the one that is likely to be able to win spending less than her opponent. It's a good reality check to figure out when you're looking at running for office to know what offices are available, and that can be gotten just by going to your own elections office. They have the listing. They also have the list of all the registered voters. They can tell you how many people are registered. They can tell you how many people usually run when there's an open seat in this situation. I would say you need real help if you're going to run against an incumbent. Even if that incumbent has been tarnished, the fact is 90% of this country's and every country's incumbents usually win. So if, you need, if you're going to run against an incumbent, then you're going to need as much professional help. And even then, you shouldn't necessarily decide to run if you cannot raise the amount of money that that incumbent raised last time. Figure out how much money he raised and sent last time and see if you can come anywhere close to that. Then to be able to go to the next step is to start pulling together your own team, build your own database of people that you know, that know you, that would be willing to invest in you. Those are the first steps that make the most amount of sense. If we are not interested in running for political office, but we want to support women in politics, what can we do? Many things, many, many, many things. The best thing you can do now, and we're learning this in terms of a lot of the young women that have been uh, actually drawn to, to being helpful, is that uh, women particularly are interested in being able to, uh, they can talk to people, they can literally help organize. In many cases, what we have done is taken women who are young women under the age of 35, asked them to pull together groups of young women 
just so that we can actually go and talk to them a little bit about their issues. It's a good give and take. It's not just listening to somebody, you know, pontificate about why they should be uh, voting for them. The fact is, is that putting together a chance to meet with voters who, if you didn't pull together that meeting, would not vote. Remember, we were talking before about how this is all about uh, getting people not necessarily in those silos but or out of those silos, but it's getting them to vote when they realize that I don't want to be associated with either party right now. I just really want to vote for the best person. When you have someone like that, they really react well to somebody just saying, well, look, how about you come and listen to this person and see what you think? So putting together meet and greets, just the ability to meet a, a candidate is a, an ex- extremely important thing to do. The next is to really see if there's opportunities to volunteer in the campaign, do some research, help them uh, fill out the questionnaires, help them pull together the kinds of reactions People are emailing candidates. We need people to be able to help respond to the number of folks that are doing that. So if you have very little time, but you're always up at 10 o'clock at night till 2 in the morning, great time to be able to get some assignments, to do some research, and to literally work for a campaign by actually doing research at home or answering emails from home. Those kind of things are truly meat and potatoes right now for a lot of the campaigns. Okay, great. And how do I find women candidates who are running, who are at that stage? They haven't declared yet. How do I find? What? What? Where do I go to say here I am and I can support? You go to. You woman. can go to your Secretary of State, or you can go to your. Uh, I would say your county elections office is going to have them all listed. And right now is about the time. Usually in the late spring or the mid spring to late spring. That's when people, when they decide they're going to start spending money on their campaign, that's where they they actually legally have to file for office. And so you go to either public disclosure commissions or you go to your elections office, and they will have a listing of all the people that are running. And right now, filing deadlines usually are in the realm of about from now to about, I would say, the end of uh, May. And so you're right in the middle of a season usually of uh, early spring to mid-spring. And if it's past that time, you just go to your elections office and they'll give you the whole list. Wonderful. Kathy, you've given us so much information. I'm also going to give a plug for League of Women Voters. Although they don't uh, particularly support or they don't support individual candidates, they do issues, they nevertheless are a great uh, starting point if you are interested in the political process and learning more about that. So contact your local League of Women Voters uh, office and, and uh, they'll help you learn about the political process. And if voting or if running is in your interests, find a uh, consultant who knows what they're doing. And uh, if you just want to help and support, then go ahead and do as Kathy advised and uh, offer your time. I would also say that those fundraisers are not to be minimized. I mean, I'm trying right now to help line up some people to come to a fundraiser for a local candidate that I'm supporting. It's tough. People don't want to go to meetings, uh, even if there's the one-hour little breakfast thing. Uh, Whenever you ask people for money, it's difficult. But you know what? So what? We've done plenty of difficult things. Let's do difficult things that will help our our society. Uh, That's my view. That's my pitch. How's that one, Kathy? (laughs) 
I think you should be thinking of running for office yourself, Heather. I think you should go back. I have to tell you, I think that there would be a lot of people interested in your second time round. I suspect that they would be very interested. Well, we'll have to talk. <laughs> I'm, I'm no longer just at the school board. They scared me off, okay? I'm done with the school board. I know. <laughs> well, there's but, uh, lots of other positions as well. Again, the most important part is to know that you're in a district where you can get elected. And so that's an easy thing to do. Research is a woman candidate's best friend. Yes. And I think also women can be women's candidates' best friends, and, and I, I, I'm all about that. Um, and I'm also all about, you know, look at women who are running. Don't just say, oh, that one has an R after her name or that one has a D after her name. Look at what she is and who she is and what she stands for, and, uh, you know, only look at that, that letter after her name secondarily. That's my, my personal advice. Kathy, thank you so I agree. much. You, I agree. You I have, agree. I have to say, I would, I would say if anyone is going to do this, it's going to be women. The first yeah. to come out of those silos will be our women. Thank you. I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Kathy, thank you so much. You've been a wealth of information. I hope that uh, in a few months um, you'll, you'll come on the show and share again uh, some of your expertise with us and with our listeners. I always end the show with a quote and today's quote is from Margaret Thatcher. And I wish I could do this with a British accent, but that would just be sinful. <laughs> really, it would. In politics, if you want anything said, ask a man. If you want anything done, ask a woman. And Here, here. Uh, here, yeah. here. Here, here. <laughs> yeah. We can all agree with Maggie on that one, can't we? Thank you so we much. We can. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy It's my Allen. pleasure. Thank, thank you for joining us. And thank you for listening. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.